0: Welcome to the podcast Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs of Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, the whole network, the podcast Potables Network. Uh, and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerbombsPPM for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram at Untapped at Process Potables. Make sure to check out all of the other shows, of course, the flagship Process Potables. Uh, Dan and Steve promise they'll be back once the Sixers hire a new coach. Uh, we've recently started Post Game Potables, where we just talk about how sad we are after each Eagles loss. Uh, and our new MMA podcast, which we just began, which is punch. And potables that just launched this past week with Paul and Rob. For info, news, blog posts, and info on stuff we've done, check out www.processpotables.com. And uh, that's about it. I have been gone from this show for a quite a few weeks, spent about a month, but we're going to be back. We're going to talk about. We're going to get you filled back in with what's happening on this week's power bombs and potables. Welcome to this week's Powerbombs and Potables. My name is Corey Oates and I'm your host every single week as we talk about the week that was in professional wrestling. Now, right out of the gate, the last time that I talked to you guys was right after SummerSlam. Now, if you recall, SummerSlam, they decided to have another pay-per-view the following week, which I did not have a chance to even watch live. I still have not even actually watched that pay-per-view. Uh, I believe that was called payback. My payback was I took a month off from this program Uh, because in in reality, to blur the lines, things started coming back to normal a little bit Uh, on the side besides me having a nine to five job and doing this podcast. I have a a five hour radio show every week. I I work with a uh, high school marching band and I work for an entertainment company and uh, weddings have been happening and uh, there just wasn't enough time in a week for me to watch over 10 hours of wrestling, sometimes we're talking 15 hours of wrestling, put the notes together and do the podcast. It just wasn't really feasible. Obviously, I've been keeping up with it and trying uh, to to find a better niche of uh, how I'm going to be able to give you guys that content every single week. So, What I'm going to do tonight, despite the fact that last night the WWE held a pay-per-view uh, called the Clash of Champions Gold Rush... I'm not going to recap that pay-per-view. I am going to simply I have I've given myself about 15 bullet points of things that have happened since we last spoke. And I'm just going to give you my uh, a quick recap of where we got to with this person or or whatever and what I think is going to happen going forward. But first, let me do what is who probably the, the best part of the show. We're going to quick Yeah, all right. So let me. Uh, what I'm about to drink. Uh, I ordered a bunch of stuff from California uh, a couple of months back, and uh, this has just been waiting for me. So this is from Indie Brewing Company. All right, they are out of Los Angeles, California, and what I have in front of me is an IPA Del Rey. It's a Citra IPA, 6.5 ABV, and they don't have any type of information on the can for me to read you, so uh, cheers to this one, okay, I can really, really, really get behind that, it's going to be a great show, everybody, it's going to be a great show, so the last time that we spoke was right after SummerSlam, and that show went off the air with the return of Roman Reigns, and I predicted on that show that Roman Reigns was going to be the world, the the universal champion, come the following Sunday's payback pay per view. What they did was they just made a triple threat match between the fiend, the former champion at that time, Braun Strowman, and Roman Reigns. The story that they told going into that entire pay per view, when they, all the realistically they had was that Friday night SmackDown, and then the pay per view itself was was Roman Reigns actually going to sign the contract for this pay per view? Now they also reveal on that very first uh not first but the only smackdown that led up to payback Roman Reigns' new alliance with Paul Heyman now something that was slightly teased uh back the second time around i believe WrestleMania 34 was it uh where the it was the second time around where we got Brock and Roman and they teased kind of the 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 history of, of Roman there, and people kind of thought that you were going to get the turn from Paul on on Brock, and then he would go with Roman, which would turn Roman heel at that point in time. But none of that happened. But here they did a spot where Roman didn't sign the contract until he finally walked out onto the stage a couple minutes into the match and came out and, and won the universal title. And and the thing is now they're building Roman Reigns as this character, who's got Paul Heyman by his side. Now, Paul Heyman's spot here is he still kind of does your reigning, defending gimmick, but he is now, uh, he's not an advocate. I don't even remember what they're wording him as, but he's definitely got a different role with Roman, and I like it because it's not a carbon copy. If you recall, since Paul Heyman's been back, he has been with Cesaro, he has been with uh, joe henning joe perfect curtis axel whatever you want to call him and every time he was cutting the brock lesnar promo while he was out there with them he's got a completely new promo and how he's working things with roman and the few that they built up the first one was jay uso now jay uso yes tag team guy Uh, Tag team partner with his brother, Jimmy Uso, uh, the sons of Rikishi, the real life cousins of Roman Reigns. And so there's a lot of heritage there, the family ties and how they did that there. And they made Jey Uso the number one contender uh, for the last month going into this pay-per-view. And last night, those two struck gold. Now, it wasn't a match that you you want to call home about. It wasn't a five-star spectacular, but the story they told. Roman Reigns comes out. He finally loses the chest protector. He's out here looking chiseled. My man looks jacked and, as a heel, looking pretty badass. Now, the sad thing was, the first thing I was thinking was like, ugh, I think this guy might need to cut his hair now. But that's another thing is that Not too many wrestlers these days even had the long hair, so it makes him stand out, so he should probably actually keep it. The story that they continued to tell was that Roman was beating down on his cousin, Jey Uso, and he wanted him to refer to him as the tribal chief, as his chief, as the head of his table. Jay Uso would not do it. Eventually, his brother Jimmy, who has been out since a week or two before WrestleMania with, I believe, a torn ACL that he had to have repaired, uh, is out here with a knee brace on. He ends up throwing in the towel and goes in and covers up his brother. And they put a a lay that Jay wore out to the ring onto Roman Reigns to end this show. I thought it was well done the obvious storyline here being that we're only about into October and they've been teasing about it and they've been talking about it is the next one in line. Maybe not right away. Cause he might need another month or two is to then go after Jimmy Uso and give Jimmy Uso a shot at Roman Reigns and have Roman Reigns run through him only to build up other people along the way. But you get to WrestleMania 36, I was about to say 36, because 36 is kind of a blur at this point. WrestleMania 37 next year in Hollywood against the current, what you would refer to as the head of the Samoan dynasty. And that would be The Rock. And get a Rock-Roman Reigns match in the main event, which would then completely solidify Roman as not only a star, but getting this heel thing over. This is what we've wanted Nobody feeding him corny lines and, and, and things to say. Just having Roman Reigns go out and be what everybody wants him to be and not the, the champion that you, they manufactured for you and what they want you to, to like. It's never worked. They tried it with The Rock and it didn't work. And then look, they turned him heel, let him do his thing, and he became a baby face on his own it happens. So you got to you got to just trust the process with that. Just got to say it. And let Roman be Roman. This Paul Heyman thing has just it's got money written all over it and once we get crowds back, it's not a thunderdome. I think I think this is going to really take off even more. Moving on to another topic, Brody Lee, who was your current TNT champion, uh took out Cody Rhodes 6 weeks ago. I believe that was also right before SummerSlam, I talked about that, uh, happened on a Saturday night edition of Dynamite, and I kind of have been digging the Brody heel run with the title, it seemed like that was kind of what was missing from him this entire time, Um the matches still haven't gotten any better, but this week, we saw the return of Cody already, six weeks back, he has now dyed his hair back to a natural color, but it was definitely dyed. And Cody, making the return right away, I kind of wasn't thrilled about. It seems a little rushed, but the one thing that I've been given AEW is you always give them that follow-up week. If something, you question it, you you just give them time because they usually work out their kinks uh, way better than WWE does. Now, what I will say is, after the return this past week, Brody Lee cut a promo, and it was the best promo that he has done. He was fired up, he was angry after Cody made the return, but in the end, when you break that down, when you break down what he did, when you break down the fact that he essentially challenged Cody to a rematch for his title, that now Cody has to... Except, and he gave him a week and gave him an ultimatum, that's a babyface move, that makes zero sense to me, and I just, I don't get why they felt that that was the necessary thing, Uh, the official one year edition of AEW Dynamite should be next week, as I believe it was October the 2nd. 2019 was episode one, so they're going to go until next week, which not which would put that at October the 7th, and on October the 7th should be the one year, but I guess that's the off week of the tape shows, so then they're doing it, the 14th is going to be the one year anniversary show of Dynamite, which should have been main evented by Lance Archer versus Uh, John Moxley, Lance Archer came in contact with somebody with COVID-19 and has been off TV for last week. And he will also be off this week. So you will not get Lance Archer back until the title match on October the 14th, but they have said that he will be there. I still don't think that it is time for, well, okay. I will backtrack on that. I thought it was time for John Moxley to lose the title a long time ago, but I also feel that you're not going to put the belt here on Bro- uh, not Brody Lee uh, Lance Archer. What I do see coming out of this, though, is full gear in November. Somehow MJF will get another opportunity for the title, and that's when he will win. Now. Since we've last talked, MJF has uh, stated that he feels that everybody who has any success in AEW is in a faction, and it's time for him to join a faction. Well, hold on. Quick of beer. I felt that now that you have FTR managed officially by Tully Blanchard, I'll talk about FTR a little bit later on, you have Sean Spears... Who is still managed by Tully. You break this down. This is the four horsemen. The Oli, Barry Wyndham, Lex Luger spot goes to Sean Spears. He's got the the loaded glove now, which was a Barry Wyndham thing back in the 80s. You have FTR, who is your arn and your Tully. You have Tully now in the position of JJ the heel manager and this mouthpiece. And who's going to be your Ric Flair? The perfect choice is MJF. MJF can talk for himself. MJF can put on great matches. MJF is young. He's a good-looking guy. And he already plays the snobby rich guy, which, of course, Ric Flair didn't necessarily play. He He didn't play a snobby rich guy. He just played a rich guy that, you know, lived a high, high-priced high lifestyle because he could because of how good he was and how successful he was. This literally writes itself. And then you have a couple of years where you can run with this faction. Just saying. Think about that one. But MJF right now, they kind of seem like they're working up towards a feud with Chris Jericho, which will inevitably caused the babyface turn of Chris Jericho. A lot of people feel that this is overdue. Cuz Jericho, even in all the other companies he's done, he usually gets a year or two out of the heel run and then he'll always flip back babyface for a couple of programs before he goes back heel. He is yet to he has not been a babyface since his WWE run. His Japan stuff was all heel and everything in AEW so far has been heel. And uh, this point, I guess it does make sense. And you spin him off with MJF, and MJF beats Jericho, and now that's just another thing that builds up MJF. Ring of Honor started back up uh, a couple of months, uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. At this point, and they just they they um, they are on the fight app for free. If you don't get one of the local Ring of Honor affiliates that they're broadcast on. You have the Fight app. It's available for free. You don't even need an account. Uh, I actually have... The, the Fight app is now... If you have uh, Xfinity or Comcast, it is built in to your system now. It's free. And you can watch Ring of Honor when it drops every Monday night at 6 o'clock. The first week, what they're doing is they br- they're they bringing back the Ring of Honor Pure title. The Pure title was a title that was uh, around from the beginning days of Bring a Bonner, and they unified the title in a match in, I believe, 2006. Um, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, if you will, merged the title uh, of the world title and the uh, pure title together, and it retired, and they're bringing it back now. The first match on the first episode was Dalton Castle versus Jay Lethal, and that was a great match. The... The sad thing about this is, is they're, they're using a soundstage in Baltimore to film all these things. Besides the MSG show, the setup in this room is the most professional look that Ring of Honor has ever had, in my opinion. Screens all over the room. The camera angle is a little weird, but they're shooting it in a way to try and cut off the fact that there is no crowd So I get what they're doing from a production standpoint, but it still kind of looks weird because it's it's definitely almost it's higher than than a steady hard cam should be at that we're used to traditionally. Uh, But it gets the it gets the point across. Best match so far is Jay Lethal Dawn Castle, and it was the one that let it off and it makes sense. In the end, it tells me, I believe, that that Jay Lethal is going to be in the title match. Whenever you finally get there. This is a 16-man tournament. So, they're only doing two matches per episode. But before each episode, well, before each match, there's vignettes from both guys. And and little build-ups of what they've been doing in quarantine. And how much this means to them. And what it means to be in the tournament. And it's just done so well. So, almost like MMA. The backstory of each fight and how we got here and the training and how, and that's a great way to build up. The the, the WWE did the same thing with the Cruiserweight Classic, but this is almost because of how long Ring of Honor was down. This is almost like a reboot for that company. Uh, But I believe once you finally get to the end, Jay Lethal will be in it and he will probably drop or lose, if you will, to whomever the, the other person is. Because Jay Lethal's at a point where I don't feel he needs titles. What I feel he needs is he needs to go to another company. He's done everything that he could. He's been back in Ring of Honor since 2011. If not 11, the very end of 10. And in that, he had an 18-month world title run, amongst other things. He's He's literally done it all. And he is wasting away some of his best career years being there. Even if he went back to Impact... He'd be a main event or an impact while we're at it. We might as well move to impact. I didn't even have impact on my notes here, but it has been the, 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 the biggest standout to me is Brian Myers. Well, you you might know Brian Myers. He went by Kurt Hawkins in the WWE and they've been pushing this guy to the moon at this point. He did the, a knockoff version of the triple H Angle when he called himself the game in 99. And that was really what set him to the moon. And they, they filmed that a couple weeks back and started a feud with him and Willie Mack. But I see Brian Myers, uh, give or take, uh, in a couple of, uh, months, he will now work his way up the, the list of people that are, that are in there. I mean, right now, unfortunately your, your two singles titles. Well, there's, uh, only an X-Division, and yeah, it's the X-Division and the World title, both of those are currently held by heels, so Brian Myers, they're pushing him as this mega heel, you're not going to put him straight up one-on-one against one of the other heels, you might have to do a three-way or a four-way uh, to get the belt onto him, but that's what they're going with here, uh, but Brian Myers has been doing good stuff, and I'm, I'm looking forward to him finally getting Uh, his fair shake, uh, bound for glory, uh, which was originally a long time ago. That was the WrestleMania for impact wrestling. I feel that slammiversary in June, July has now become that for them as the last couple years, but bound for glory is still a big deal. That is coming up, uh, I believe Sunday, uh, the, the 12th of, uh, of October. Uh, it's, it's not that far away. So, uh keep an eye out for that one. Continuing on, NXT Takeover is this Sunday. Yeah, there's a Takeover pay-per-view this Sunday night. And uh there's an Eagles game on. Which uh, you know, for 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 the people who listen that aren't Eagles fans, uh we're in Philadelphia. So we ha- we cover the Philly sports. So I'll be watching it with Dan and Steve of Process Potables. And we're going to be talking about how sad we are after the game when they get annihilated this Sunday uh, on on our newest uh, podcast called Post Game Potables. Now, this TakeOver main event is uh, the, 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 the two matches that I can think of off the top of my head is we have Candice LeRae against Io Shirai for the... NXT Women's Title. I personally think that Candice Lurie is finally going to get her hands on the Women's Title. A couple of months too late, she was really hot for a week or two when she turned heel, and then it's cooled off. That also being said, the main event of that show is going to feature Finn Balor, who is now your NXT Champion. So since we talked last, the, the night after, uh, the night before SummerSlam, Karrion Cross won the NXT title. He separated his shoulder, needed surgery, came out that Wednesday night, relinquished the title. They announced the following week there would be a Iron Man match. 60-minute Iron Man match in a four-way with four former NXT champions. Adam Cole. It was going to be Finn Balor. It was going to be uh, Tommaso Ciampa. And they had already pulled Keith Lee by that point, And I'm trying to remember even who the fourth guy was in that match. Needless to say, the unfortunate thing about most Iron Man matches is, and why it's kind of a flawed situation, the first one was very cool with Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, because you didn't know what to really expect. Swig beer. But now as years have gone on, and more and more of these things are done. You realize that the most important matches. The, the most important point. Of the Iron Man match is the last five minutes. You can literally watch the last five minutes of the match. And get your outcome there. Now they booked this one differently. And my theory. Is even more relevant. Than it was prior. Because in the last 30 seconds. Finn Balor. And Adam Cole both score pinfalls, which put them both at two uh, two pinfalls each. And so then they announced the following week, Adam Cole would face Finn Balor in a one-on-one match for the title, which Finn Balor ends up winning. And they've been doing a very good job of, really, since that Pat McAfee feud, turning Adam Cole into a babyface, which... You'd think makes sense at this point due to the fact that he's kind of done it all in the last two years as a heel. But I feel that if you bring up Undisputed Era as a faction, there's a lot more stock in them as a faction on the main roster than breaking them up, which to me kind of seems the direction they're going. It almost seems as if Kyle O'Reilly has broken away from the Undisputed Era, and he is actually the number one contender. Kyle O'Reilly, I've never been a Kyle O'Reilly fan, and I'm going to say that. Back to his Ring of Honor days, the the biggest magic was when he feuded with his former tag team partner, Adam Cole. They were a tag team in Ring of Honor called Future Shock for several years in the early 2000s, and then eventually Adam Cole turned on him. Years went by after Adam Cole was a part of a group called The Kingdom with Mike Bennett, Maria Kanellis, and Matt Taven, who I still am not a fan of. Uh, Eventually, they broke Adam Cole off of it, and they put him back with Kyle O'Reilly. He got the, the trust of his former partner back, and they got Future Shock back, only for Adam Cole to very quickly... Turn on his former tag team partner and best friend once again. At that point was when Adam Cole went on to become the Ring of Honor World Champion, and then ultimately, in the end, Kyle O'Reilly took the Ring of Honor title from Adam Cole in Kyle O'Reilly's last match in Ring of Honor at Hammerstein Ballroom, uh, a final battle, two thousand and I believe fifteen. Fifteen sounds right. Uh, I was there uh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom for that night. That was the debut of Cody as well. Uh, but Kyle O'Reilly won the world title only to drop it back two week, a couple weeks later, to Adam Cole at uh, Wrestle Kingdom that year. Now, what makes sense for me here is I was talking about that Adam Cole babyface thing. Kyle O'Reilly splitting up. This is a perfect opportunity for Adam Cole to cost Kyle O'Reilly the world title against Finn Balor, and then you spin off Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole in a renewed feud. Makes sense to me. It writes itself. Then where do you go with Finn? The thing is with Finn is he's going to be the one I think that's going to drop it back to Karrion Kross, but Karrion Kross is probably going to be out for six months. So you got to find some other people uh, between now and then to put him up against. Looking at that NXT roster, which is pretty thin at this point, unless you're going to build back into Tommaso Ciampa for a little bit, who is now, once again, a heel, I don't know where you go with with Finn Balor. And I say that because Finn Balor has been working kind of as a hybrid, babyface heel, so it's difficult to see where they go with him, but in the end of the day, there's nobody really set up. When you think about it, Keith Lee just got called up. Keith Lee's gone. Dominic Dijakovic, who was never really up there, is a mid carter that got a lot of shots, <laughs> he's on the main roster. He's not even Dominic Dijakovic anymore. Keith, Like I said, Keith Lee is gone. Karrion Cross is gone. If you spin off Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly... They're both out of the picture. It really only leaves Tommaso Ciampa at this point as the one that's going to come up next. Unless, maybe, you get the return of Walter. But I don't think that Walter still can leave the UK. So, it makes for some interesting times going forward. As for the retribution angle, it is just... People have compared this to the aces and eights angle That Impact Wrestling ran probably around 2012, 13. And it ended up being the the giant gang reveal was that Bully Ray was indeed in charge of it the entire time. Now, people looked at that as, well, this makes no sense. Why did Aces and 8 attack Bully Ray at his wedding when he married Brooke Hogan live on TV? Why did he let the things happen to him? Because they needed to fill in that hole. And the hole filled in was that even he had to take a beating once in a while. But the thing was, is he had to do it in order to get the trust to lure in the Hogan family. Just so that once, right when he thought that they, he was on their side, he wasn't. And it worked out. And they went back and they filled in all those holes for you. The retribution angle is an angle that you needed to book the ending before you even started it. The problem is, the people that they have brought up here. Now, one of them looks like he's wearing a Jason mask, cut out of a paper plate. There's another one. Oh, that one's played by Shane Thorne. You have Dominic Dijakovic, who has now shaved his head... Calling himself T-Bar. Wearing a Bane mask. You have Mia Yim. Who everybody knows is Mia Yim. Because she's the only black Asian girl on the roster with blue hair. That is standing out there. I don't even know what the hell they named her. There's... The former announcer, I'm trying to think of what the hell his name was even, uh, Dio Madden. He's the only impressive looking one out of all of them. He looked good in the match that they had last week. And then finally, there's Mercedes Martinez, who, there's a lot of stock in that girl. And they barely got much of anything except for that great cage match with her and Rhea Ripley a couple weeks on NXT's TV. This whole angle is just not connecting. It hasn't been connecting. The fact that they brought up five well-known talents that are literally on the same time, two nights later, on the same channel, that they push on their TV all the time. How do they not expect people to just completely hate this even more? Then, on top of that, the news broke that several of the members tested uh, positive for COVID-19. So they have to be quarantined for the next 14 days. So we finally get this reveal last Monday night, only for them to now be off of TV for the next two weeks. I say it's time to abandon the whole thing, collect our losses, and move forward. Moving on here, back to AEW a couple of things. We have the never-ending Kenny Omega hangman page Uh, situation where the whole elite is pretty much broken up. Kenny Omega has been on commentary the last two weeks, and um, it's fast-forwardable. Kenny Omega's not a good promo. Kenny Omega is not good on a microphone. And the more that they give him an opportunity to talk, the worse off it is for everybody. Kenny Omega was connecting to a Japanese crowd with the emotion that he gave off and his flamboyancy and his movements and all of those things connected with a Japanese audience, but it it does not. And it will not connect with an American audience. Kenny Omega needs a complete makeover and to start him from scratch over again and try and figure out what's going to work with an American audience because this just is not working. It's just not working. As for the Young Bucks, they have been turning the Young Bucks slowly heel by breaking cell phones and aimlessly throwing money, by super kicking Alex Marvez, as Jim Cornette has worded him as the Officer Bar Brady of AEW, and he couldn't be any more correct about that. These guys, ultimately, would be another good option to be in a faction with MJF. But the difference is is that MJF is the complete opposite of a wrestler than what the Young Bucks are. And that's the strange thing. But the thing that you got to take into consideration as well is that the Young Bucks have never really wrestled since their popularity as heels. While, yes, they were in the Bullet Club, and the Bullet Club was supposed to be heels, they were still looked at as the babyfaces in America. So, take that for what it is. Going to take another swig of this delicious uh, IPA Del Rey. That was a big gulp. FTR is your AEW World Tag Team Champions. Well overdue. They defeated uh, Hangman... And Kenny Omega, uh, at the pay per view All Out on uh, the this past Labor Day weekend, and uh, this past Wednesday, they just implemented a new rule that all of their matches on TV will have a twenty minute time limit. If no one, if the their opponents do not pin them within twenty minutes, uh. FTR will remain the champions and they will be declared the winners of those matches, which says to me that we're going to get a lot of 20 minute tag team matches that are going to go the distance on TV and they're just going to escape by the edge of their hairs every week, which for some teams would be okay because AEW has a stacked roster for tag teams. But the thing is, is. I don't want to see Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus for the umpteenth time. Luchasaurus, the bloom was off that rose a long time ago. He's not fluent, he's sloppy, and his shit just doesn't look good. There, I said it. But FTR is the best tag team, and they put the tag titles on the best tag team. And what's going to happen is once you finally get that other team underneath of them, that you're ready for them to uh, to go with, it's going to mean so much more when they actually uh, drop the titles to someone. Uh, quick running down a couple more things. At full uh, full gear, <laughs> at all out, Matt Hardy uh, took a really bad uh, bump off of a uh, lift where there was two tables set up and they overshot the, the tables and Matt Hardy was in pretty bad shape. I disagreed, like most people did, with them continuing that match, but I'm sure Matt Hardy is going to be back eventually and uh, still doing his thing. Uh, WWE has re-signed Jeff Hardy for another three years, I believe, and I pretty much that ensures that you're never going to see the Hardys together in AEW because that at that point, I believe Matt would be 48 or 49, and by that point, I think Matt is just Matt will be retired by then, if you ask me. Except for maybe an occasional one-off. Uh, John Moxley still your world champion. I've been saying it for months. I I was ready for him to lose the title uh, back at um, Double or Nothing in uh, in May. At that point, he had been gone for several weeks and i felt he was just cooled off as a champion from since he had won it back from Jericho in february at, ret, at uh, retribution just not retribution res, uh, revolution revolution was that what the pay-per-view was called in february uh, but but i've been ready for that moxie switch for a while uh couple other things here uh they've been teasing a ever since uh phew. Right before SummerSlam. This Alexa Bliss Fiend thing. Now Alexa Bliss is possessed by the Fiend. But not always. And they do all this weird. Weird shit with her. Where randomly. She just turns into a possessed human. Like he is controlling her. And this past week on Smackdown. They did a spot where she was possessed. And walked past Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. And stared at them. Now. Now. Couple weeks back, Bray Wyatt brought in a brand new character into the Firefly Funhouse, and it is a walrus that is clearly supposed to be Paul Heyman. I hope that they're not going this direction for several reasons. One, the fiend is a heel. Secondly, Roman Reigns are trying to get over as your top heel. And three, everything the fiend touches, it ruins. I was just praising Roman Reigns at the top of this program. If he ends up in a feud with The Fiend, I'm sure that I will not be giving a rave review of anything that goes into that. Please, for whatever you do, do not do that. Also, the WWE is bringing back the draft. It's going to be happening, I believe, uh, on the 12th. And that Friday, I believe, Uh, that would be the 16th. Uh, and it's going to be one night. Raw and SmackDown are the only ones eligible for this. Unlike the last draft where NXT was a part of it, this one is only going to be for Raw and for SmackDown. And, uh, yeah, my Lehezbollah my point was something that I already covered. And that's that, that's really all that I can, can off the top of my head say is... Gr- You know what? And that's the thing about wrestling. There's so much of it. Something else just popped into my head. And we'll end the program on this. A couple weeks back, we saw the return of Sami Zayn. They did the angle that they've done. It was original in 93. It's not original in 2020. where Sami Zayn stayed home due to coronavirus, COVID-19, right after WrestleMania when they filmed it. And he retained the Intercontinental title in a match against Daniel Bryan on WrestleMania 36, night number one. But he was never seen from again. Since then, they did an entire tournament which AJ Styles won. Then he dropped it to Jeff Hardy. And then after dropping it to Jeff Hardy, Sami Zayn returned with his Intercontinental title. And last night on the pay-per-view, they had a Great ladder match. It was Sami Zayn, it was Jeff Hardy, it was AJ Styles. And it was such an innovative way of doing things. For those of you who won't watch the pay-per-view, the breakdown of it in the end was Sami Zayn had two pairs of handcuffs with him. He handcuffed Jeff Hardy to a ladder outside of the ring uh, through Jeff Hardy's gauge, his the, the earlobe hole from his gauged uh, ears, So the only way Jeff Hardy could get around is if he carried this ladder. He then handcuffed himself to AJ Styles. And then when AJ wasn't looking, he pulled the key out of his mouth. He took the handcuff off of himself. He then handcuffed AJ to the ladder so that nobody could stop him from climbing up and winning both belts. The right guy won there. And I liked how they did it. That was something original for once. Bravo. If there's one thing that I will say is last night's Clash of Champions pay-per-view was pretty damn good. Compared to the TV, it was pretty damn good. Now, uh, early reports, by the way, last night came an injury to Angel Garza, who they believe has a torn quadricep. Uh, no full reports have come out as of me recording this right now. It's Monday night. Rawls actually live right now, uh, but there's still no update on Angel Garza. So, interesting uh, fact here. And fuck it. While we're at it, the last thing that I'll talk about, I'm bringing up something else, is Sasha and Bailey. Yep, they did the turn. Yep, I wasn't happy about it. And yep, Sasha's already. Back. During quarantine. You have an angle. That is potentially. A money making angle. The WWE still has a Wrestlemania. Coming up. In at this point, Six months. Still slated to try and have it. In Los Angeles. Probably won't happen. But it could. An angle that you've teased. A breakup of. For three years, you do it on a smackdown, and you have Bailey take a steel chair and wrap it around the neck of Sasha Banks, and then jump off the rope and crush her throat. Only for two weeks later for Sasha Banks to be on TV, talking just fine. Not choking, not struggling to breathe, not struggling to speak. They did an angle in 1986. It's a fairly known reference. The macho man Randy Savage dove off of the top rope onto Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who was draped over the guardrail. He gave him a double axe handle. Then he threw him in the ring, grabbed the ring bell, jumped off of it, and brought that ring bell across the throat of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What happened after that, might you ask? Ricky Steamboat couldn't talk. If he tried to talk, he would just end up coughing. He was gone for months, only to return dramatically to build up for his match with Randy Savage at WrestleMania 3, which people still talk about today as one of the, if not the greatest match in WrestleMania history. An 11-minute match. Still to this day considered one of the, if not the greatest match. And what was so important was the buildup, was the story. They even try and redo the same injury angle in that match. And that was the story that they were trying to do. I don't see why Sasha Banks could not have been out until the Royal Rumble. Uh, the booking, everything that they do, they the WWE has so much TV content that they can't long-term book anymore, unfortunately. They've they've backed themselves into that corner where they're writing TV up to sometimes. Minutes before the show goes on the air, it's being rewritten for the umpteenth time. And they're having a hot shot stories all over the place. They really dropped the ball with this one. Very disappointed in uh, the WWE and uh, their, their, their choice on this Bayley-Sasha Banks feud, which eventually, inevitably, has to have Bayley dropping the title to Sasha Banks. So this coming weekend, we're going to watch NXT TakeOver 31. I'll try and talk to you about that come next Monday. As for post-game and Potables, I will be with Dan and Steve Sunday night. Everything, of course, is now under one feed, the Podcast Potables Network. You can find it all right here, and it's available for you as it drops. So just subscribe and... Download them all. Just have that automatically download whether you're on Spotify or on um, iTunes, Apple Music. Make sure that you, you get all those things and subscribe. If there's an episode you don't like, well, or you don't want to listen to, maybe you like our, our, our MMA podcast. We have a brand new MMA podcast called Punches of Potals. You just like the wrestling. You just like the Sixers. You know, you can just pick and choose. That's the best part of everything Everything in this one network. We're eventually bringing back some of our others that we had piloted a couple of episodes back. Everything will be under the same umbrella. That is the podcast. Network. So I'll talk to you next Sunday. Until next week, make sure you stay safe and stay over.